You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The parties are divided in terms of the effect that the stimulus is going to have. This inflation debate has really been heating up the effect of what the Biden administration is spending on political capital. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. A group of centrists are the key senators to watch. Joe Biden, his number one focus in addition to the COVID health crisis is jobs. I don't think we have red roads and blue roads, and that's the way we're looking at this. Bloomberg Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden hits the policy trail, selling stimulus as $1,400 stimulus checks hit bank accounts over the weekend. Meanwhile, Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen eyes a new tax proposal. Will she tax the rich? And we got the latest on infrastructure. A lot to talk about with our all-star policy panel and Congressman Blaine Luke Meyer. We begin tonight uh, with the big policy story, which is, of course, President Biden selling stimulus today at the White House, talking about the need to stay on top of the money sent for virus relief plan and get the economy back on track. Here's sound on this from President Biden. We can get our economy back on track by helping hundreds of thousands of small businesses open and stay open. And that we can give people of this nation a fighting chance again with relief checks, lower child care costs, lower health care costs, and so much more. That's our job. That's our responsibility. And in the process, we'll be growing the economy as well. We're going to have to stay on top of every dollar spent through the American Rescue Plan. And that's what we're going to do. Meanwhile, Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen was appeared uh, over the weekend on ABC News' This Week to talk about the American Rescue Plan, the stimulus bill. And she told host George Stephanopoulos that the economy must be kick-started and that inflation is not a substantial threat. Here's the sound on that. I don't think it's a significant risk. And if it materializes, we'll certainly monitor for it. But um, we have tools to address it. She went on to say that she believes deficits are under control and will be manageable. We have to make sure that the economy, that the budget is on a sustainable path. And uh, this is something that we can afford. In the longer run, we need to get deficits under control. Jeannie Sean Zeno is with me, along with John Hart, a Republican strategist and the former communications director to Senator Tom Coburn. John is also the co-author of two books with Senator Coburn, uh, The Debt Bomb, ooh, perfect topic for today, and Breach of Trust. All right, uh, John, I'll start with you just uh, because 
Uh, Secretary Yellen says that she doesn't believe inflation is a risk, and she believes that uh, the deficits will ultimately have to be kept under control. $1.9 trillion, John. Yeah, that's a lot of money, Kevin, and it's great to be on. You know, I, I come at this with three assumptions. I think number one is we live in a world of finite resources. Number two is not all spending is created equal. And then number three, if something can't go on forever, it will stop. And, of course, that's the Herb, Herb Stein principle. So, you know, I, I'm skeptical that the Biden stimulus is going to be all that effective just based on, on the track record of what we saw with the Recovery Act under President Obama. I, I, Time and Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, Jeannie, I mean, to that point, I mean, President Biden is going to be visiting uh, different states over the next couple of weeks. And I mean, you hear what John is saying and many Republicans are arguing, which is that this is just too much money too soon. Well, and I think, you know, one of the reasons to John's point, and I agree, his book title couldn't be any more relevant to the discussion. So thank you, John. Let's hope it doesn't happen. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Um, But to the point when as we compare this to 08 and 09, I think that's one of the reasons that we know that's one of the reasons the administration pushed so hard and went it, quote unquote, alone without reaching across the aisle, because they had a very strong sense that Obama didn't go big enough because he needed to get Republicans, and they didn't want to repeat that because they wanted to make sure that this was going to be effective. So I think we're hearing from the administration very strongly that they feel this is going to be effective. I do think hanging over their head is this question of if there is inflation, which Janet Yellen said over the weekend again and again that she doesn't think is going to um, be dramatic, and they have tools by which to manage that. Um, And we've heard several economists, many say that you're better, you have, we have have no choice in a once in a century pandemic but to go big and address it all at once or we are going to be in trouble. So I think that's what the administration is banking on here. You know, I think I think to, to bring it back to John's point, and by the way, our executive producer, Christine Baradas, said, I told John to get wonky and we're already a couple of minutes in the show and you're talking about Herb Stein. So I think I think we can check that box that we've that we've officially gotten wonky in the first block. Um, but to, but to that point, I mean, you know, when you when you do a zoom out, for lack of a better word, and you look at all of the increase in in uh, cash, for lack of a better word, and in, into this economy. Not just over the next couple of months, but truly over the next couple of years. This is not just going to be a let's press a button and then $1.9 trillion goes into the economy. It's going to take a couple of years. I, I, I ask this respectfully, but is it, 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 is it going to be disposed evenly or are certain sectors going to not benefit but be at a disadvantage because they're not getting the same amount of um, liquidity into their industries that others are? Do you know what I mean? If you if you put if you plug one hole in a in a, a you know a, a leaky cauldron, it comes out somewhere else. Yeah, I, I can speak to that. I think you know I, I'm concerned on a couple levels. I think number one is that if you, if you look at the multiplier effect of the Obama stimulus, uh, one one of the best surveys done recently, Valerie Ramey looked at ten years of studies, said the the multiplier effect was between 0.6 and 1.1, and of course one is a wash. One is that a dollar in produced a dollar of output. So there's a strong case to be made that the Obama stimulus wasn't effective, and by, quote, doubling the output or doubling the amount of spending, it's not going to make it more effective. But, but it, So it displaces capital and misallocates capital, but what it does longer term is it makes it more difficult for Congress to get its head wrapped around and politically to embrace 
the kind of spending that could actually have a better multiplier effect. We're looking at infrastructure, looking at basic research and development, a lot of climate type research that should be done is going to be more difficult because we've just spent $1.9 trillion and it's going to be much harder to get Republicans on board with any future uh, investments. Jeannie? You know, I'm not convinced, and I hear that argument, but I'm not convinced Republicans would have gotten on board even if this spending bill had been, you know, on board with immigration and infrastructure and these other big, big uh, packages that we hear are going to be pushed out pretty soon. I'm not sure that they would have been willing to go along with everything they have politically and electorally on the line as we look at 2022. So I think, you know, while I think the president is going to continue to talk about bipartisanship, they have redefined bipartisanship to say the American public wants this, including vast majorities of, or at least majorities of Republicans. And that means it's bipartisan. I agree with John. I don't think we're going to see big spending bills on infrastructure. I think we're going to see a piecemeal approach on some of these things. But I'm also not convinced that if this bill hadn't gone forward, Republicans would have been on board for the rest of it. John, uh, to, I wish coming up, we're going to talk about the tax proposal, but I, I still want to stick with stimulus because I still think sure. it is it is the, uh, the 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 big story driving the day. And I think it, it colors the the tax debate, the looming tax debate, I guess, that we're going to be having. But, you know, when you look at at where um, the pandemic loans uh, and, and, and how they've even been doled out. Uh, the Senate Banking Committee is questioning whether Goldman Sachs, for example, paid dividends at the expense of lending to businesses and households during the pandemic, as lawmakers are, are starting to be more skeptical about the money that's being doled out. So chairman of the Banking Committee, for example, Sherrod Brown, and yes, Elizabeth Warren, we're going to be talking a lot about her a lot this hour. They sent a letter to uh, Goldman uh, CEO David Solomon uh, last week, and they're asking how their banking unit uh, made use of a temporary weakening of capital capital requirements last year. I bring this point because the scrutiny from lawmakers who set up these programs, it's like they're they set up the programs and now they're they're scrutinizing the private sector that's doling them out. And I, I, I just think it's a go ahead, John. No, I mean, that's, you, you're, you're touching on a critically important issue because Congress, Congress today is not well positioned or capable of doing the oversight that needs to be done in, quote, normal times. But they Much set up, this is what I struggle with. Money. I hate to interrupt you, but let me ask a better question. Yeah. And, and it's, tough. it's like they set up the rules or they set up the, the they, they gave the, they doled out the hand of the cards and now they're judging how the cards are being played. You know what I mean? Right, right. Exactly. So, so Congress impugns and indicts other people for their own failure to develop targeted legislation that helps the American people. That, that, that's really how Congress operates. And, 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 and the, how this bill is executed, as, as Barack Obama can tell us, because of everything from the Affordable Care Act to his own stimulus package, is critically important politically and economically and in every other way. And that's why we see Biden with Gene Sperling trying yeah. to get somebody to make sure that this is rolled out. But of course, $1.9 trillion, let's be honest, there are going to be problems in this. And, and, and 
I don't see any way around that. But as the president is, you know, taking it seriously, trying to make sure that the execution goes at least according to a way that the American people can look at it and feel that they can trust the government on this. Well, I said this before and over the last uh, couple of months, I thought that was one of the most surprising things as a reporter, just to see uh, all of the stimulus funding uh, get released and not a bipartisan communicative plan on either side in terms of how small businesses uh, could be able to get access to it. I was just completely baffled, especially uh, that that there wasn't a bipartisan effort to communicate to Main Street, to communicate to restaurants in a way that people just didn't have to guess where to go. I thought that was really surprising. Speaking of Senator Elizabeth Warren, did you see that she wants to get a stamp for uh, Jack Kerouac from Lowell, Massachusetts? That was one of the press releases that popped in my (laughs) inbox today. So maybe Jack Kerouac on the road with Jack Kerouac on a stamp. I'm Kevin Cerilli. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Jeannie Sean Zeno, Bloomberg Politics Contributor, and John Hart, Republican Strategist. In the uh, break, our executive producer, Christine Barada, was giving me, was getting on my case, as they say in the biz. I mispronounced, I said Lowell, Massachusetts. It's Lowell. <laughs> Did I say it right, Jeannie? Lowell. <laughs> I, I, listen, I, I spent years in Massachusetts, just like Christine. I went to the University <laughs> That's of hometown. Massachusetts. Yep. And I could tell you that there's a specific way you say things in Massachusetts that only Lowell. Christine Barata can do it. Well, it's our hometown. I talk about <laughs> Delco enough on this program. We got to give Barat's hometown a shout out. And then she sends me the paper of record. This all started because Senator Elizabeth Warren, I promise I'm going to land this plane. Senator Elizabeth Warren put out a press release today that she and her, the other Senator Markey, they want to have a Jack Kerouac U.S. postal stamp because Jack Kerouac is from where? Not Lowell. Lowell, Massachusetts. So Barada sends me this article from what she refers as the paper of record of Lowell, Lo- the Lowell Sun, that says George Clooney appears in Lowell's Belvedere neighborhood for a movie shoot. The things I learn here on Bloomberg <laughs> it's Radio. It's not just Christine Barada. It's also George Clooney in well, Lowell. And and by the way, Kevin, try to say Worcester. That was one Worcester? growing up. We had, yeah, because it looked, right, John? You know, it looks like Worcester. Worcester. All I know is yeah, how to I say hoagie. Boston, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I went to Penn State. Okay, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Let's, oh, <laughs> Senator Elizabeth Warren has, uh, as we as we know, has proposed uh, raising taxes on billionaires and the ultra-wealthy, and it comes at a time in which the administration is starting to pivot uh, toward tax reform. And Heather Boucher, who's a member of President Joe Biden's Council of Economic Advisors, spoke with my colleague David Weston earlier today about the long list of urgent and important needs for the next economic package, focusing on infrastructure as well as addressing climate change. I talk about this because... Now it's unclear whether they're going to release a tax proposal ahead of infrastructure. So take a listen to the sounds on this uh, from Heather Boucher at the White House. 
those at the top of the income distribution, you know, have seen their incomes not uh, be subject to the same kind of shocks. And, you know, the stock market um, has, con you know, continued to do quite well um, over the course, especially the latter half of the year. So that gives us a lot of room to think about where revenue can come from and that folks at the top who've been able to benefit from this economy um, and haven't been as hard to hit, there's a lot of room there to think about what kinds of revenue we can raise. John, you know, I, I'm struck that Secretary Yellen on the Sunday shows did not take a position on Senator Warren's wealth tax. Uh, mm -hmm. But when we're talking about trillions of dollars of infrastructure and uh, the, the, the first question is, a reporter has is, how are you going to pay for it? Um, and I, I mean, at what point does the administration have to lay out that vision for how they plan to pay for it? Well, look, I applaud them for, for asking the right question, how do you pay for it? But I think a wealth tax is probably the worst thing you could do right now. You know, if you, if you want less of something, you tax it. And we need more growth, we need more economic activity. So I think any kind of tax, whether it's a wealth tax or any other corporate increase, is not, is not a great idea. But, but, on, but specifically on the wealth tax idea, you know, the, the question I always ask progressives is, you know, who knows how to spend Bill Gates' money the best? Does Bill Gates know how to spend Bill Gates? Kevin Cirilli. Kevin Cirilli. I shouldn't or have said that. Go ahead. I don't, I don't want to say Gene. You may, you may know how to spend Bill Gates' money better than Bill Gates. But, Thank you, John. But, you know, again, it's like let's, let's, have, let's like align the incentives, incentives in, a, in, a, in a common sense way here. And I, I, just, I, th I think it's a, it's a terrible way to, to, to go at that. Jeannie, one of the things that the administration has campaigned on, and now that they're in office that we're all starting to talk about again, is raising the corporate tax rate to 28% at a time when, you know, uh, quite frankly, I talked to Republicans that have been on this program, as you know, that they've said the best way to attract business to the United States is to keep the lower uh, corporate tax rate. So, I, I mean, this is setting up for a massive partisan and ideological debate, is it not? It is. And one of the things that I think uh, Joe Biden is going to have to clarify sooner rather than later is, of course, his plan never included this, you know, ultra millionaire tax that that Elizabeth Warren has been talking about. And yet, as you mentioned, Janet Yellen, um, uh, the, the uh, Jen Psaki and others have not said that it is off the table either. And Jen Psaki, to your point, specifically raised the issue of increasing the corporate tax. And so I think they're going to have to clarify sooner rather than later how they want to pay for what some people are saying is in the range of a two, three trillion dollar infrastructure bill, amongst other things. None of that has been clarified. And of course, we see a lot of Elizabeth Warren um, progressives getting roles in the administration that could push them in that direction. Mm. But it's all unclear at this point and certainly not what Joe Biden campaigned on. Well, you mentioned uh, infrastructure. Let's take it a listen to some of the sound on infrastructure from Secretary uh, of Transportation Pete Buttigieg. Here he is uh, visiting a UPS facility in Landover, Maryland earlier today He was that was delivering vaccines to D.C. and Maryland. Take a listen to Secretary Buttigieg. Conversations are taking place right now, as you've seen, uh, Oval Office meetings with the president and uh, leaders from uh, both parties, from both houses. And uh, uh, it's fair to say that in short order, you're, you're going to be seeing more. 
you know, I don't want to jump all over the place, and, and Tom Keen is always so good about keeping me focused, but I will say, at a, in a week in which Secretary of State Tony Blinken is meeting with his Chinese counterparts in Alaska uh, for the first meeting of the administration between China and the United States, uh, in which we've got a semiconductor shortage, all of these issues are going to come to the forefront, particularly raising the corporate tax rate. Would that really attract uh, investments in the United States? We will find out. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Congressman Blaine Lukemeyer up next. This is Bloomberg. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television as well as for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Sean Zeno and John Hart, co-founder of C3 Solutions, a Republican strategist and the former communications director uh, for Senator Tom Cop- Coburn as well. Um, all right, folks, let's talk before we talk about um, immigration. I do want to touch on. Uh, some of the virus news, because here in Washington, D.C., Mayor Muriel Bowser has uh, lifted some restrictions uh, and that is set to go into effect next week. And she will also get this. She will also allow some fans in the stands for the Nationals and D.C. United. Last week, Nats players wrote to the mayor criticizing her for not doing it as other uh, sports stadiums and sports teams across the country had already gotten that approved. I thought that was an interesting little bit of nuance. Um, but meanwhile, more nations are halting the AstraZeneca uh, shot. Um, Germany, Italy, Spain, and France have suspended use of Astra- AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine amid a health scare related to reports of blood clotting. I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal. The moves are creating yet another delay for the European Union's inoculation campaign. For a second straight week, new coronavirus cases in the United States rose at the slowest pace since the pandemic began. So some good news. Puerto Rico warned residents to be vigilant after detecting Brazilian and California variants of interest on the island. But again, that AstraZeneca news and Europe really dominating a lot of the COVID uh, conversation um, throughout the day. Uh, So Germany, Italy, and France, again, have suspended the use of AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine amid a health scare related to reports of blood clotting. They joined countries including the Netherlands and Ireland, that have already halted the use of the product. The developments are yet another blow to a vaccination campaign that's proving embarrassingly slow and politically damaging for governments across the EU. Jeannie, I got to say, United States, and I'm not, you know, I I mean, both administrations, I would argue, deserve some credit here uh, for we're not having that problem here in the United States. They do. And, and you know, we and heard, scientists as well. Uh, yeah. We heard Dr. Fauci over the weekend. And, you know, it is striking to think that a year ago mm. we did not have a vaccine. And within, you know, less than a year, we have a vaccine. It is being rolled out. We're told by the president every adult who wants it will be able to get it by May 1st. I mean, that is, you know, a huge, huge accomplishment. But to your point about Europe, um, feels good. It, it, it does yeah. feel good. But I think we also have to know another country that did this very well was China, and they built their economy after that. You contrast that with what's going on in Europe, and I think that is incredibly striking. Well, I would add Israel into that. As well, yep. Yep. Go ahead. 
Um, no, but but to that point, I mean, yeah, I think I, I still think China is going to have a lot of questions to answer, especially uh, during this week. And we'll be careful. We will be talking a lot about that tomorrow and, and keeping a careful watch uh, on those talks with Secretary Blinken, uh, as well as uh, his counterparts when they meet in Alaska uh, later this week. OK, immigration is is driving a lot of conversation this week as well. Congressman Kevin McCarthy, did you hear this? Congressman Kevin McCarthy, a Republican from California, the top Republican, of course, in the House of Representatives, uh, he led a delegation to the border in El Paso, Texas, where he called the influx of unaccompanied young people the Biden crisis. The Biden crisis is what House Republicans are calling this. So Speaker Pelosi's office, they put out a statement that said, quote, McCarthy is desperately trying to distract Americans from the fact that every single House Republican voted to block a relief bill. I want to play for you what uh, um, Minority Leader McCarthy said at the border earlier. Here's the sound on this. It's fascinating. Take a listen. I came down here because I heard of the crisis. It's more than a crisis. This is a human heartbreak. This crisis is created by the presidential policies of this new administration. There's no other way to claim it than a Biden border crisis. John, is this the Biden border crisis? Why are we seeing such an increase of, of immigration suddenly talking about this? Well, I, I think, yeah, he, he is personally to blame. But look, I mean, I think to be intellectually honest, I mean, immigration is a, is a multi-state, multi-nation issue where you have economic conditions that that create incentives for people to cross the border. But I, I do think there is some merit to McCarthy's position that, that Biden's uh, more open borders position has incentivized a lot of bad actors to take advantage of what they perceive to be a more porous border. Uh, it, look, I think, I think President Trump did some good things on immigration, but he messaged it in a terrible way uh, for the most part. Uh, so I think we need to go back to the shining city on a hill that Reagan talked about. It has it has walls, yes, but it has doors for people who have the will and heart to come here. But the this situation now in the Biden administration, and we all remember the the immigration uh, conversations, to use a neutral word, from the Trump years. But the AP is reporting the U.S. government plans to house up to three thousand immigrant teenagers at a convention center in downtown Dallas as it struggles to find space for a surge of migrant children at the border who have strained the immigration system just two months into the Biden administration. Jeannie, from the AP, American authorities encountered people crossing the border without legal status more than 100,000 times in February, a level higher than all but four months of Donald Trump's presidency. This is absolutely not where the wow. what the it, the numbers are astonishing. Another uh, number astonishing. I heard was thirty percent increase in crossings or attempted crossings since January. That's not where the Biden administration wanted to be. Certainly, I would though agree with John and applaud his uh, obvious intellectual uh, b being intellectually honest. That's what because, we do here. Absolutely, <laughs> do our <laughs> be best. Because you know, let's when we take a step back, it's very easy to say, oh. Biden's policies have caused this, yet this is cyclical. This kind of migration, unfortunately, comes in waves. It has, it's the result of much larger forces yeah, than just Joe Biden being elected and people somewhere else hearing that he wants open borders. John, come back because I got to ask you about your farm. I didn't get the chance to do it, but I'm very interested in that farm. John Hart, Republican strategist and former comms director for Senator Tom Coburn um, and author of The Debt Bomb. I'm Kevin Cerilli. This is Bloomberg.
know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by none other than the Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Congressman Blaine Lukemeyer joins us on the television line. He's a Republican representing Missouri's third congressional district. He's also the ranking member of the House Small Business Committee and a senior member on the House Financial Services Committee. Congressman, great to talk with you again. I just got this headline in my Bloomberg. VP Harris, Kamala Harris, on whether tax hikes are going to be in the recovery bill in order to pay for the next recovery bill. And she says, quote, I want to make sure I have this right, quote, we haven't really figured out what the next phase is going to be, to be honest with you, and we're going to make those decisions. You know, this just happened last week, and we want to get on the road, make sure people know what it is. So I'll keep you posted. That's not a no, Congressman. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Good to be with you again. Always a pleasure. Uh, you, know, I, I, you know, you talk to the uh, the Democrats behind the scenes and in the elevators and on the, on the floor of the House when nobody else is around, well, they'll tell you, you know, get ready. It's coming this fall. They're trying to figure out how to frame it, how to work it. You know, it probably will come through another uh, reconciliation bill of some kind this later on this fall because it only needs 51 votes in the Senate. And so they know that it'll never pass uh, without uh, going that route. So and it does it does limit what they can do. However, they still can raise most taxes with this. And uh, they they love the money in your pocket. and They're going to go get it. Congressman, it's Jeannie Shanzano from New York. It's great to talk to you. I wanted to ask you, today the president was out promising uh, much more oversight than he says was happened for his bill under the Trump administration, and he talked about their failure to do that. And a lot has been reported about some of the fraud and suspicious activities surrounding the PPP program. Mm. So how confident are you, and what do you think Congress can do at this point to make sure that oversight this time around, particularly with the PPP works? Well, I, you know, honestly, I think the, the first round wasn't too bad considering it got, uh, you know, the SBA did 14 uh, days worth of work and uh, or 14 years worth of work in 14 days. And so all things considered, uh, there was about $280 million that was some question about out of 300 or 200 and uh, $350 billion the first tranche. And so, uh, that's about a uh, one ten thousandth of an error ratio. So I, 
I think that's not too bad. I mean, I'd love to have that in a private sector in my own life, one ten thousandths of an air factor. But uh, sale is too much, and we need to. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, the treasury went back and, and, and reclaimed some of those dollars. And yes, anytime you have a government program, there is going to be some some folks who won't take advantage of it in the wrong way, and there needs to be some oversight. And I, I served on the uh, COVID oversight committee uh, all last year, and that's one of the things that we were trying to do is to provide that oversight to make sure that uh, the money went to the right people in the right way. Um, uh, you know, I think you know the second round is being some of the, the the dollars going out the door is being delayed as a result of uh, a lot more eye dotting and t crossing to prohibit they'll prohibit that from happening. And so it's uh, some of the folks are a little unhappy with the delays in getting their funding, but um, it's coming, and uh, it is due to uh, more stringent oversight that was put in place when we put it together back in December. So I think there's, uh, you know, we, we want to continue to watch it. That's one of the jobs of our committee and uh, at the Small Business Committee as well as uh, Financial Services Committee that I serve on, and uh, we want to pr- continue to that oversight. But uh, I think uh, there's a lot of stuff that's been built into the bills and into the procedures and processes as we put it together. You know, to, to follow up on that, I know you've been doing some bipartisan work on the committee uh, to extend some of the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program, because that deadline is March 31st, and, and you've been working on a deal to extend it for two more months with uh, some of your uh, Democratic uh, uh, counterparts, including uh, the Small Business Committee chairwoman, um, uh, uh, as well as some of the other folks uh, on on the committee what what do you, what do you what can you tell us about that extension yeah i think you know we were looking at a situation where the uh, the sba uh once uh, it gets to march 31st any loans that are in a pipeline that are not finished up get dropped so the individual could do everything they needed to do apply in a timely manner and if there's a coding error or it's just a processing situation they could be in a situation where they wouldn't get the money at all because uh, SBA is backed up on these things. So uh, there's some money left in the program. They're using it at about uh, right about two billion dollars a day, but there's probably going to be somewhere around a hundred, between fifty and hundred billion left by the end of the month here. So uh, we thought that it'd be prudent to uh, to make sure number one, those people who are doing the right thing uh, were able to get their dollars. Uh, and have SBA not just drop these loans, continue to work on them until they're all done. And so uh, we had a a 60-day extension on the program itself and another 30 days for SBA to wrap it up. So I think that would probably be enough to get through the entire program, get through the entire tranche of money, and at that point we'll see if there's a need for more. Uh, I'm guessing it probably won't be because it looks to me like the economy is uh, is gearing up here. Uh, Things look pretty good, and uh, actually, the numbers of folks applying are, are slowing down significantly. So, uh, but we'll see. Uh, we're, you know, this is a program that's been very successful, and we want to make sure that it continues to help those that it's intended to help, which are the, the worst uh, that have been hit by the COVID uh, thing from a financial standpoint. And um, and it's been successful in doing that. So we want to continue it if it's necessary. But um, I think it's it's getting close to the end here, and we don't want to have a a permanent program here. This is something that was temporary. And I think uh, we need to look at it in that way. Congressman Blaine Lukemeyer is with us, a Republican from Missouri's 3rd <laughs> Congressional District. Did you see this? Over the weekend, Secretary Yellen said that U.S. inflation risk remains small and manageable. Do you agree with that assessment? <clears throat> well, uh, yes and no. I think short-term, yes. Long-term, no. I think short-term, 
Um, you know, there's still going to be, I think our recovery is going to be slow. The inflation problem is going to be slowed from the standpoint that uh, people are still not going to be engaged as fully as they could be. And even once we get fully engaged, you're still going to have problems with supply chain. Uh, and, and there's still some folks who, because they are going to be able to sit on this unemployment money that's in this bill until uh, late summer here, uh, they're not going to be going back to work. So it's going to be a little more difficult, again, for the businesses to manufacture products or provide services. And whenever they're going at 100 percent, hiring at 100 uh, percent, that's when you start getting inflation because you're producing and people are, are buying. But if you're not producing, uh, it's hard to get there. So, But long term, uh, I think that there's a possibility of that because we've thrown – there's still a trillion dollars left that, that we didn't spend yet. That before we threw this 1.9 in the in the into the, the, the economy here. Uh, so when all this money is able to be spent, there could be a good possibility that it would be uh, an, an inflationary factor. But I think short term, no. Long term, um, I wouldn't bet against it. And Congressman, especially, I- especially and let me let me finish that. Yeah. Especially with energy prices, I think that's the key on the on the long term. Mm. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you talking. So I wanted to ask you about a slightly different issue that you raised um, several weeks ago, because it's something that my students ask about all the time as they have been investing. Um, Should there be increased regulation on short selling? It's something I know you talked about. Um, And I'm sorry (laughs) to say that we have a lot of students who are, you know, heavily invested, not economically, but psychologically in this now. (laughs) Well, yeah, I, uh, my committee had a hearing on uh, the GameStop uh, situation the other day, and you know, I, I asked the question of of the witnesses uh, during that hearing. I said, "Did the system work the right way?" And you know, by by seeing that these uh, hedge funds had shorted the stock to a tune of about 140 percent, and there was a group of folks who were watching that and saw an opportunity to to do something, and they did it. Uh, was that the market correcting itself, or is there a need for tra- more transparency and there's a need for for some some other things in there to stop that from happening? And it was kind of interesting to listen to the to the uh, the hedge fund guys really didn't want to didn't say that you know that they want to admit that they got you know tricked and fooled and taken advantage of by, <laughs> by a bunch of rookies out here. But that's <laughs> what happened. I mean, they had they had some folks who were just ordinary guys. They were. You know, they were sharp cookies, but they were watching the market on a daily basis on their own. They weren't uh, playing with anybody's money but their own. And lo and behold, they got together and started uh, working together, and they, they took advantage of the situation and <laughs> yeah. brought those hedge funds out. So it's – I really – you know, I asked – I in fact, I asked the guy who was uh, the main, yeah. uh, main guy for Wall Street uh, Web there and um, – our Wall Street bet for on Reddit, and he said, "Look, he said, I think the only thing we need more of is transparency. If mm. there's more transparency, I think we're fine." All right, so, we're gonna. I don't we're know. Gonna, <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know either, but come back and tell us. That's Congressman Blaine Lukemeyer. We always appreciate his time. March is Women's History Month, and here with today's installment is Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in women's history in 1946, former First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt is appointed U.S. Representative to the United Nations. President Harry Truman appointed her. Roosevelt contributed greatly to U.N. policymaking, serving as chair of the Human Rights Commission. She was the only woman serving on the six-person delegation that would eventually produce the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in December 1948. Now, because of Roosevelt's massive contributions to international human rights and law, President Truman would later call her the First Lady of the World. Roosevelt served in this position until 1952. 
That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. Jeannie Shanzano, are you going to be here on St. Patty's Day? I, I'm going to be around. I'm half Irish. I must celebrate. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm half Irish, too. I already got, uh, my family sent me Irish potatoes, and I already ate them. Oh. I think I was supposed to save them, but I, I can't. I can't just have one. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.